Welcome to the Analytics of Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Jordan McNamara. Uh, recording this in the midst of Senior Bowl week. We're uh, between the AFC and NFC Championship games and the Super Bowl. So awaiting a big matchup between Kansas City and San Francisco, uh, which promises to be a really intriguing game uh, in terms of some of the players and the coaches and just the narratives that are going to go on. It's going to be an interesting watch in terms of all that lead up to it. But we got Senior Bowl this week. We've got Dynasty declarations or uh, rookie draft declarations are done. Dynasty startups are going on. Uh, Dynasty rookie draft ADP is going to start coming out, trickling out here, getting the rookie work going. Uh, so we'll go through some of that and um, you know get it get us on track for going into end of January and early February, getting our teams going right. So I just want to start off uh, the Analytics of Dynasty 2020 edition is out. It's on sale. Uh, came out last uh, last Friday. And it's on sale for $30. Uh, I've been making the tour on some podcasts that are coming out. Uh, I made a local radio spot. actually went on the – I made four different appearances. This is my fifth podcast of the day – or fifth appearance today. Um, testing the, the vocal structure. I've still got it. We'll see if I can survive the week. Um, but, you know, doing some appearances, promoting that. Um, the Analyx Dynasty 2020 edition is on sale now at analyxdynasty.com slash shop, $30. I'll get you the book, immediate download. For uh, It'll come in a PDF form. Um, some people have asked about a written form. Just in terms of production cost and, and the logistics of that, it, it didn't make a ton of sense for me to go that route with it. Um, so it is just a PDF electronic form. Um, I, I have printed out I, I printed out the 2019 edition. It's kicking around my house someplace. I don't have a 2020 written copy. I should probably get that just so I can bind it up in a binder and have it on my bookshelf. But um, it is just a PDF, uh, and it's available for one of the benefits of not printing it. It's immediate for available for immediate download. So you can get that. Um, it'll be in a PDF. You can use it on whatever device you want. Uh, and so you can, you'll get all of that right when you hit purchase. So you'll get a link to my Dropbox uh, version of the book and you can download it and have it right there. So if you have any problems or anything after you order, uh, just let me know, send me an email or let me know uh, in DMs or something like that. And I'll, uh, can help you out with it. I had a little technical glitch at the beginning, uh, but I think it's all squared away now uh, with the, there was a problem with the link. So um, if you have any problems like that, let me know, but it should be, should be fine now. Um, just going over a little bit of topics. I think I talked about this before. Definitely Superflex. If you're into Superflex startup drafts or, you know, I've got some Patreon subscribers uh, that are in some Superflex drafts right now. Uh, I think there's a lot of value in the book in terms of the players to target, stats to look at. I think this year is going to be a good year for the the work I did in the book in terms of implementing it. There looks to be a lot of value, you know, a lot of analytics of dynasty value uh, in in the in the marketplace right now in terms of what I looked at and the things I found value in. So it's funny you get these names like Productive Struggle or Win Now, and I talk about them in the book. There's not a quote analytics of dynasty build or I don't have a, a moniker for it, but I jokingly uh, will get messages from people that will say I have analytics of dynasty drafters because I can just tell based on the roster construction that they're one of your subscribers and they're usually right. So I call it an AOD build. So, um, you know, we'll get some more of those, uh, more of those going. Um, especially in Superflex. So a lot of it is Superflex uh, focused. About a quarter of the book is Superflex. Just uh, 
different ways to look at quarterbacks. I have different metrics in there that are really, really important. Um, some stats that are pretty fickle year over year that I've identified that present a good opportunity for value in terms of buy low candidates and sell high candidates. Talking about you, Lamar Jackson, with your touchdown rate. Um, you know, looking at just different ways that at the quarterback position that success happens, um, and that's in, in a variety of different ways. But I think it's important to know sort of the general arc of the position. I think it's not commonly understood, and there's a lot in the book that that points to ways to avoid one-hit wonders, for example, uh, ways to identify early season success or early career success of whether that's true success or whether that's a you know a fugazi type situation where it's a it's a fluke. And that's a situation to avoid. So a lot of those, uh, a lot of those things are in the book in terms of superflex. I look a lot at base rates too. And one thing I found pretty interesting, and I was putting together my dynasty tiers this week, was just the difference between a, a tight end hitting and a tight end not hitting. So given the same pedigree, like I just looked at, uh, compared David Joku and. O.J. Howard, two first-round tight ends, same class, same level of experience. But they represent similar, you know, career arcs and ages and um, time in the NFL and those sorts of things. Although Joku's younger, uh, and you see, you know, Joku has a top twelve finish by my numbers uh, to date, and Howard doesn't. And just by looking at the difference between historically what's that what that has meant, eighty-one percent of tight ends that are round one guys that hit for one uh, a top 12 season so the guys that hit they hit again and so if you look at if you compare that to where oj howard is at this point in his career the first round tight ends on his track only 50 percent of them hit so you sort of identify that as a it's just a base rate density rate type of analysis but when you look at that it's a it, it puts them on different tracks where i don't think the market's necessarily on that and both of them are depressed assets at this point um joke is probably going to be a value in and startup drafts you know, we'll see if he's back in cleveland or if he gets traded someplace else but i like him as a reclamation project this early in his career with his with his track record identifying those things it's really uh, there's a lot of value in terms of some of the situations and some of the players that you know people are on and, and drafts and uh, you know, at, at the tight end position, I'm falling a lot in love with tight end and quarterback just because I think there's different ways to look at the position. I think there's a lot of analysis that can go into it, um, and it's less talked about than running back and receiver. So there's a lot of different value there. I think that's that can be highly valuable, especially if you're playing two tight ends or you know, super flex or start two QBs. All these different premiums move make those things more and more important at the position uh, to, to analyze, know the rates on, know the what success looks like and, and what uh, how to avoid missing. You know, sometimes sometimes being a successful dynasty owner is just drafting uh, and and avoiding high miss odds, you know, avoiding the players that, that are at a bad, a really bad track that we might not necessarily appreciate uh, to this point based on their historical likelihood of hitting. So a lot of that in the book, um, I did a lot of work on uh, random picks and what that means in terms of future uh, future rookie picks uh, and the, the, the value that they can have and, and what how they're valued by the market and what their true value is. Uh, in addition, I also looked at the type of success and the type of structure that you need to have to truly be a successful dynasty team uh, and win championships. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm in the playoffs. I got a shot. Uh, my data looked at that and, and isn't so keen on the players that just the uh, owners and the teams that just sneak into the playoffs. Uh, it's, it's really the truly dominant teams that win the championships. Um, 
in addition, I looked at some startup concepts, just some different places in terms of uh, landing players and, and different roster builds and all those sorts of constructions and what trading up in a draft does for you in terms of adding a you know, adding a 2021st in a trade to move up and, and get a, uh, uh, an added asset, you know, what that did in 2019. So where you trade a 2021st or a future first for a pick, how much does that help you? And I don't, I haven't seen a ton of work on that, and people sort of anecdotally will have a take on that. Um, I actually have some data to back it up, so I think that all that stuff's interesting, and it it was eye-opening to some degree in terms of how all those things went. So uh, you can find all that at analystsdynasty.com slash shop, um, and you can f- the 2019 edition, if you haven't bought that yet, and you're sort of new to Dynasty and looking to get um, you know as uh, an overview of the of the dynasty landscape and sort of how, uh, more of a how-to, I think there's value there. Um, starting with the 2019 edition, that's still uh, it's still relevant. The data is still good. I haven't found anything that really pokes holes in that in terms of uh, any of the new data that's come out or any of the 2019 stuff. Uh, it's still uh, it's still a good guide going forward. It's evergreen content, so you can get that at analysisdynasty.com/shop for twenty dollars, um, and go ahead and check out the Patreon side as well uh i have podcasts coming out i just uh it's, it's addicting when you start you just keep recording so um, a lot of podcasts coming out there i got my dynasty tears landing and uh all sorts of fun stuff going on over there the analytics dynasty group me chats entertaining and um i think helpful both for me and for for the subscribers so all that's good fun stuff um patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty you can start there for as little as four bucks a month so um we'll get all that out of the way and let's talk go into some of the storylines that are happening um senior bowl this week uh as well as rookie declarations i think this this rookie draft is going to be interesting uh and i looked at the 2019 as a as a really good barometer for how to draft rookies and sort of the things to look for and avoid and those those costs and all those different rates and everything. And I'm really excited to implement it in 2020. I think this, this class is, you know, we go through cycles with these things and it happens, tends to happen every year. Uh, And as as much as things change and different players happen, the same trends seem to appear. Uh, One of them is that, you know, the, the class is, is talked up and hyped and uh, elevated and, and talked about really highly. And then, the time comes and for some reason people get let down by it or you know guys go back to school or guys don't test as well or the pedigree doesn't turn out and then we're on to 2021 before the 2020 picks are even made you know and people are talking up next year's quarterback class and all of these things that it just continues to happen it's a cycle um but i do think there's been some some important data points that have occurred for this rookie class in the last week and I, I think you'd be uh, negligent to not consider the fact that Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, and Chuba Hubbard all went back to school. Um, yeah, there was different ranges, and people had them ranked a little bit differently in terms of where they were going to fall in rookie drafts and NFL drafts and stuff. But I think you, at the bare minimum, you had, I think, three day two running backs there that had they all come out, you would have a really, really deep running back class in terms of you would have um, as many as eight guys that could 
I think have a really, really good argument to go on day two, likely to go on day two, um, no worse than day two, with the possibility for a couple of them to sneak in round one. Um, I'm not sure that that's, there's going to be backfill in this class. So with the ETN news um, and Harris and Hubbard going back to uh, uh, school, you have a, a little bit of a, of a dip in the, the overall depth of the running back class. Wide receiver is still going to be good. Um, there's talk. I've seen um, Jim Nagy, the, the guy that runs the Senior Bowl, had a, um, a quote. I think I saw it in tweet form that um, I think it was one of his press conferences down at the Senior Bowl that he hasn't talked to a team yet that has Nikhil Harry uh, rated higher on their board than uh, Brandon Ayuk is now. Um, and that's that's really interesting considering that <laughs> that Nikhil Harry was a first round wide receiver uh, late in the first round, but that I think that gives you just the the idea of what the possibility is for this class at the receiver position. Where I'm not the biggest, uh, you know, I haven't gotten totally in on on the class yet in terms of receivers. Been more looking at running backs just because I think there's there's so much import on the draft pedigree at receivers that that. Um, you know, I like to know a lot about their profiles, but that is just such a massive deal at, at the receiver position for for me and all my numbers. I haven't fully gotten to studying them yet, but I know that Aoke's a guy that's got some divisiveness in his profile. Different people like him, and some of the I think some there's some analytical holes there, um, but we'll talk about more of that looking forward. But I think he's just a good he's a good case study for the fact that there could be a lot of receivers that go in the first round of this draft, and there's a lot of different players that are going to have an opportunity to do so. So, um, you know, and the, some of the guys the Senior Bowl, I think the running back, just generally, I think the running back class is taking a hit this week in terms of in terms of guys at the Senior Bowl. Uh, you know, the guys that, that went back to school, but I, I look for guys at the Senior Bowl, what type of day two options are there? You know, recent guys that have gone on day two, like Kareem Hunt, have made a big difference in, in Dynasty. And I sort of look at look at the Senior Bowl uh, weigh-ins as an as a early barometer of, of the type of players that are going to uh, potentially populate later, later day two. And you see a guy like uh, Eno Benjamin from Arizona State comes in really light right he comes in at at 195 which is you know below I think I saw him listed at 210 uh and so you get him that that light I mean that's a that's a concerning number so um you know that puts him in a in a much different range of outcomes than you would expect him to be you know if he was at 210 for example so that I think that caps what his potential outcome could be. Uh, another guy that came in smaller was uh, Jamichael Hasty, 203 at Baylor. I like him as an explosive guy, um, but there's uh, there's concern there if he's not going to have the, um, the size to potentially play three downs. I don't know if he necessarily projects that way, but at 203, that's just, it's, it's a, it's a really light number. So, um, you know, Darius Anderson at 195 is another example of a guy that came in uh, a good chunk below where you would have expected him to be in the, you know, in the 200s, pushing up on 205, 210. He comes in 195. Um, I have questions about him as a, as a player. I think his profile is a little, uh, it's a little lacking in terms of production. He's one of these big time projected athletes, but at 195, he, he better run fast. I mean, or he's going to be well out of the, well out of the, the conversation of being, um, 
you know, a fantasy, a fantasy producer. So uh, a guy that's going to interest me in terms of going forward and what his usage is and what uh, positional designation he gets. He's a running back at the senior bowl, Antonio Gibson out of Memphis um, played a lot of receiver, uh, played a lot in the slot, you know, traditional slot stuff. And then, but also played some running back role. He's listed as a running back working out with the running backs at the senior bowl. Um, but, 223 so a good number at six foot uh, six foot um, and one half inch so he's uh, got a prototypical build for a guy that was playing receiver small hands eight and a, eight and a quarter inch hands um, but is a guy that that caught a lot of passes and was involved heavily uh, in the passing game at Memphis so uh, there was talk uh, earlier this week you know some of these things are it's important to to be cautious of in terms of the hyperbole that can happen and it's commonly called lying season but uh, you know the the lead up to the NFL draft who says what and you know what what the rationale for it all those things are are important to keep in mind but I think the um, you know seeing Jim Nagy say that he has had teams say that that he's ranked higher than Tony Pollard was, and Tony Pollard was a was a early day three pick. So you know what does that mean for a guy that's a, a little bit of a tweener hybrid? You know, we've seen this uh, in the last year with um, with Hurd, the guy that um, went to uh, San Francisco, and you know he was a tweener, played running back, and then transferred to uh, Baylor and played wide receiver. And, you know, he ends up being a guy that was a, a flash candidate in uh, San Francisco before ultimately ending up on the uh, on IR. So Jalen Hurd had San Francisco. You know, we'll see how he projects. But with a guy like Antonio Gibson, you can see that sort of uh, narrative or trajectory to his game. So an interesting thought. Michael Pirine came in at 211. Uh, he was an interesting um, he's an interesting player. I think I'd probably like the the metrics a little bit more than I like the tape in terms of, you know, he's got receiving, he's got a more receiving profile. I think he was a little lackluster in terms of his production for a, a long-term starting running back in the SEC. Not a lot of rushing production there. So um, Keyshawn Vaughn, a guy that I like, but comes in at 205. Does that, can that number change? Can that number go up at the, at the, um, at the combine, you know, you have four weeks or, or so to put on some weight. And, you know, I always, with, with Evan Ingram, I always joke that, you know, drink a whole lot of water before you get on that scale. Um, a lot of salt and a lot of water. Let's hold that water weight just to move that number up. And, um, you know, just so that the weigh-in looks better. Is that is that a type of scenario that can happen with some of these guys? You know, there's a lot of working out going on. Are they going to put on some muscle between now and then trying to get faster? So all of those things are possible. But in terms of just a general outlook at the running back position, I'm pretty skeptical on how many of – if maybe there's one, maybe two of these guys that have a the possibility to crack day two now, whereas I thought it was a, a more open possibility earlier in the week before the weigh-in. So um, a little bit of skepticism there. Um, the quarterback position is going to be, I think is going to be really interesting. I continue to think that that Justin Herbert, the quarterback from Oregon, is going to be a potential top ten pick in the NFL draft. I'm I'm looking to see. I see these narratives on him that you know he's not a leader. He's he's a pretty cerebral guy. He's like a 4.0 student with. A, he's got a science or physics 
major uh, to him. And he sort of gets this, there was these stories written about him, how he's a tutor um, and those sorts of things. He's more of a, a heady guy. And some of the criticism is how good of a leader is he, how good of a, you know, he's an introvert, um, you know, sort of breaking him out of his shell, if you will. All those things are possible. I don't, you know, I, I always wonder how much that all of that stuff matters. I'm sure it does. And there's probably uh, players that you know, have played in the league and, and coaches that have seen uh, with more hands-on experience of players that will tell you that that stuff matters. Uh, you know, he's been pretty productive at Oregon, although I think ended his career less productive than he started it. Uh, you know, so I'm not sure I buy all that narrative stuff. And who knows what the truth is and all of that stuff. Um, you know, I think the draft pedigree is going to speak to that. And I, I think there's a reasonable chance that he goes in the top 10, if not more likely than not. So, um, but the other guy like Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma, he, uh, a transfer from Alabama. He's wearing the dual helmet down at the senior bowl. It's a pretty cool. Look, uh, they have similar colors, but one side's a Oklahoma, uh, helmet and the other side's a Alabama helmet. It's a pretty cool look in terms of that. Um, going back home to Alabama for the senior bowl. Uh, he's six, he's one, two eighteen. So built like a running back, but tall enough, you know, tall enough checking boxes. Um, Jordan love out of Utah state. I've heard varying descriptions on him in terms of, uh, where his draft pedigree is going to be. I think he's one of the more higher variance type of projections, uh, this in this class, uh, but comes in big hands, you know, over 10 and a half inch hands, um, just a big bodied guy. So, um, long and, and lanky. So, um, you know, we'll see if, if there's multiple guys that from this class that could crack round one. I mean, we've seen that a couple years ago. We saw it with, uh, with Baker and Josh Allen. So, um, you know, there's, there's upside there in, in these, in these players. So Burrow didn't go, which is probably disappointment for the senior bowl, although long season. And I don't, not sure how much he has to prove in terms of, uh, securing the one one pick. So, um, probably would have been nice for Cincinnati to get their hands on him for a week before, before, uh, taking him, but, uh, he does not go there. So, um, Cincinnati coaching the South Senior Bowl and uh, Detroit coaching the North. So two top three picks there. It would have been nice for them to get a look at uh, quarterback going that high. But Cincinnati commonly projected to pick him at 101. We'll see. I'm still open to the idea that that doesn't happen. So um, a lot of talk about that pick being up for sale and those sorts of things. I'm not necessarily willing to put it at the 90 plus percent percentage I saw in a Twitter poll that I put up earlier this week. So um, wide receiver, it's a little bit of a mixed bag in terms of some of the weigh-ins. Um, you know, not not a ton of big names at this at the Senior Bowl this week. Um, guys that I think have an opportunity to to show off against bigger competition. Antonio Gandy Golden, a guy that has um, some intriguing production and size to his record uh, at Liberty. Um, played well against Syracuse this year. I saw him early in the season. He jumped off the, the screen just in terms of what I was expecting at Liberty. Um, you know, I saw Michael Pittman having a big, uh, uh, highly complimentary tweets about him. I would just note that I've gone to Senior Bowl, and it was in 2017. And just a couple of, a couple of notes there was uh, Amara Darbo was this, was this Twitter darling. And um, I might have told this story on a prior show, but he was this Twitter darling and people were talking him up and how he had this great week. And I was just like looking around and I was like, where is this production? Because I haven't, 
you know, I haven't seen it. And, um, and you know, he's, he falls and, and it has done nothing to date. And when I was watching that and one of the experiences that I had in particular, and I think it's, it's wor- worth noting, I'm not going to call anyone out by name, but one of the bigger names in the, in this community in terms of draft analysis, I was watching as Amara Darbo was practicing during his drills and this, this, uh, bigger personality was off to the side 50 75 yards from where Darbo was practicing engaged in a conversation with somebody you know an old friend or former teammate or something like that uh and you know they were talking and you know know, catching up and those sorts of things while Darbo was out there struggling and then you hear later on him talking up Darbo and I was like well what was he watching because he certainly wasn't watching what I was watching because he wasn't he wasn't even turned in the right direction. So uh, I always have a little skepticism. You know, my my friends over at UTH, Katie and Chad, are both down there. I trust their vision on these things. And I was with them and experienced the senior bowl with them. I know Chad's been there a couple of times. So I look a lot at trust at what they're talking about. And I was jumped on the UTH podcast tonight uh, as part of the book tour. And, you know, they had some thoughts and stuff so i'm paying attention to sort of the, the content they're putting out um and other people down there that i trust uh guys that are you know i know matt waldman goes every year he's like the dean of the senior bowl down there um uh but you know what what they're looking at what they're seeing just try to trust the people that you tr- that you trust in terms of their their takes and not get overwhelmed by what the twitter sphere is saying about uh, any particular player at any given time um, you know you want to trust people that are actually down there and that you trust their process on these sorts of things so um, that's just a note on that um, I think I think this class is going to be an interesting value opportunity because there's going to be five six seven possible wide receivers in the first round and you're going to get sort of a glut at running back so does a guy like Clyde Edwards Hilaire rise up in value and become a guy on day two that that cracks the first round of rookie picks I think that's certainly a possible thing but if that happens especially in Superflex or these two tight end formats if that happens you're going to get guys that fall into round two that are values and typically it's not wide receiver that we're going after there but if we're going to get round one wide receiver pedigree in day in round two of the rookie draft this year, that's a it's a rare occurrence. And if you're looking at some of these these early rookie draft mocks and some of the landing spots that are possible, um, I certainly think that that's a, a possible range of outcomes on on at least one, if not two, of these receivers. So I'm definitely looking at that as a potential value opportunity and just playing the the long term hit rates at the for round one wide receivers. Not as high as running backs, but if you're getting them in round two, where the you're historically getting you know day two wide receivers, you know, second and third round wide receivers with much lower hit rates, that's an interesting value proposition, um, even if the running back class isn't that deep. So I'm looking at how the, all that interplays. The, the rookie class isn't you know it's not just one player or you know a couple of players here and there. It's a big puzzle and how that creates value in terms of uh, the picks that you're making, what the expected uh, production is off of those picks and you know how that all fits together it creates potential value opportunities so I'm looking at that a lot um, and, and seeing how all of that fits together and you'll certainly get players that are overdrafted based on quote immediate situation which is always a, a key concern for me in terms of guys that have weak weak profiles that go early in rookie drafts just because they have an immediate opportunity guys like Paris Campbell which he went to a was selected to a Andrew Luck led offense that was going to be prolific 
didn't turn out that way. So, um, you know, just be careful on those immediate situations, uh, projections and, and rookie drafts. And um, especially with the rookie ADP coming out, I don't do an early board. And one of the reasons I don't do an early board is because I don't want to get something written down and then I want to change my opinion. And once you write it down and once you put it out and once you sort of commit to it, it's tough to change. And I always think of when I was, when I played baseball, they would teach us to, you know, a fly ball goes up in the air. Don't put your glove up right away because if it's becomes tough to track the ball with your glove up in the air and then you commit to where your glove is, you don't want to, you don't want to have your glove up there and, and need to move it because the mind doesn't want to move it. And that's one of the things I think committing to prices at this point, you know, I'm getting questions and DMS and the Patreon chat and on Twitter and on shows, you know, what's your rookie board look like? You know, who's, who are you taking where, what do you think at one Oh two, those sorts of things. Uh, I'm not there yet. And we've got plenty of time to think about these things. We're going to have a lot more information to make informed decisions about them. And we miss a lot in dynasty and if we, if we commit early when we don't have a lot of the information, it only makes our process worse. So taking a much broader view of the class in general, I think we're going to hone it down to you know, 20, 25 players that are target players at particular costs. Uh, but, but let's think about you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 guys now. When, as, it, as it whittles down, the process will whittle it down. Draft pedigree will whittle it down. We don't necessarily need to make commitments on who's 102, 103 at this particular point. Know that in this class you're probably going to get a good pick in that range. But it doesn't necessarily need to be attached to a person. And that's one of the benefits if you're in one of these drafts that has, you know, um, rookie placeholders is what I call them, or rookie picks in the draft. Uh, you know, 101 can be drafted in a startup. and You don't have to attach – Joe Burrow's name or um, DeAndre Swift's name to it, you get the right to make the pick in a rookie draft in in May or after the NFL draft is taking place. The best part about that is, is you don't have to commit. You know, you don't have to. You get the right to make that pick later on, and you get the full information to make that pick. So that pick's not going to get hurt. Pick's not going to have a bad combine. Pick's not going to get arrested or have a positive drug test or have a negative medical test. That pick is liquid and fluid until you make it after you have all that information. So committing early on to a player like that is dangerous. In addition, if you play Devi and, you know, you're seeing a guy, oh, this guy could be mocked in the first round, especially at wide receiver. We've seen recent uh, recent classes, a guy like Auden Tate is a good example of this, who, um, you know, Laquan Treadwell, another one who, you know, hot Debbie name, highly projected you know, at this time of the of the season, bombs out in the combine, and then, you know, Treadwell goes early on, um, but busts, and then Auden Tate falls to day three, right? Those type of scenarios, if I'm playing Debbie right now, I, I'm being really, really critical in terms of the guys that are making the jump from the NFL uh, from college to the NFL. And if I don't love, if I'm not in love with the profile, now's the time I can get out and I can, I can trade it for a future Debbie or I can trade it for an NFL player or, um, get, get picks or whatever. I can do something different than forcing myself to commit to this one particular person who's at a highly volatile place in his NFL trajectory. So that's something if I'm playing Debbie, I'm, I'm incorporating that rookie pick knowledge into it. Um, startup drafts that are going on. Uh, I know that there's uh, some drafts going on, some subscribers of mine, uh, Patreons and book subscribers have been talking to me about drafts that they're doing. It's a good time of year to do a draft, uh, to sort of kick the tires. And if you're going to, uh, if you're going to do a bunch of them, you know, I would just say 
just I did some drafts last year and I, I got into more leagues last year. And just if you're going to do that, like it's a it's fine to do that. Uh, it's fine to get into more leagues and keep playing. And I would I love playing. So I like getting in leagues and I like I like getting in there and making picks and trades and all that stuff. But just be be careful about how you do it. You know, get, be careful about who you're going in with in terms of, um, you know, the structure and the stability of these leagues. And we're all get excited. But be careful about the rules you know make sure that the rules are settled before you start picking make sure people are paid before you start picking and make sure you don't have any of those combustible problems in terms of who you're getting in with when you're making these things because you don't want it to be a bad experience in addition you don't want it to be an experience where you sort of overcommit yourself financially now set a budget and this is one thing that i want to do a little bit more of i've been talking to some people that play higher volume you know i'm in 20 20 or so leagues um, I've been talking to people that play even more volume, and one of the things that interests me is sort of the the monetary commitment that makes, and that can be an expensive proposition. Don't get yourself over your skis or, you know, out uh, invested too much money that you can't, you know, you have to make sacrifices that are unreasonable for your dynasty thing. So, if you want to play more leagues, that's fine. Do that, but be balanced about it, and you know, be. Uh, be wise about the decisions you make in terms of paying up money and who you're paying it to and, and the formats in which you're taking it. You know, I was in a league with uh, some people in the Dynasty community, some analysts, uh, and we paid someone in PayPal. And that person stole $1,200. And uh, that that stuff is just a, it's a terrible experience to have to go through. Um, the people, I don't know if they ended up getting paid, but I didn't win the league in year one. I had built a, a pretty good team. It was an analytics dynasty build team. And I was really excited for year two. That league folded because someone stole the money. So be really careful about those sorts of things. I recommend uh, league safe or nothing um, because you know, with league safe that it's uh, it's in an escrow account. It's a, it's a established process and how they process the money and it's a it's a good stable system in terms of that that no one's running off with that money um or if you're playing them you know ffpc they have similar things or league safe is a place where i like to play um they have uh that money's in escrow that money is uh is properly taken care of uh by good institutions so i'm i'm really hesitant on paying someone and and PayPal or Venmo or in cash or any of those sorts of things. I just, I get really, really concerned unless it's a home league where I really know the people, um, yeah, be, be skeptical of those things. Um, but be skeptical too of, of be careful of committing, uh, more money than you can afford. Okay. And you, you know, you might say, Hey, listen, I can play, I can play 500 bucks. Uh, that's a, what I think can be a reasonable buy-in this year. And you start getting in drafts in January and then, oh, I like that draft. And let's jump into another one and jump into another one. And, and that number can get 500 to 800 to 1,000 to 2 quickly. And just be careful about that. So sit down, have a plan in place. Don't do anything that's going to you know endanger your finances or anything like that. And, and be careful about who you're giving your money to. So it's all fun and you can play for fun and do all those things. But if you're going to play for money, just be careful on your, on your management of that um, because it can be addicting. So, um, so with startup drafts, I've, you know, I've been noticing, I think there's value in the, in this, in the quarterback position, particularly in Superflex. I keep seeing guys like Cam Newton fall and I keep having people tell me, you know, eight, ninth round, uh, I keep getting starting quarterbacks and that's historically a rare it's not common to get quarterbacks that deep in a startup draft. So there appears to be some soup, some value at quarterback. 
And if you're willing to wait, that's a, I think a contrarian strategy. But if I, if everyone's waiting, I'm waiting right along with them. Identify some values in the teens and the twenties at the quarterback position. And if people want to wait, I'll play chicken. I'll just keep playing chicken with them. Um, and I, I typically try and come out of a draft with three starting quarterbacks. Um, I'm going to try this year and see if I can do it with two. And that might cause me to go a little bit earlier on the first one. Um, yeah, I was waiting into the late teens and the twenties last year, just cause I liked the players that were in that range. If I'm going to go two, I might go a little bit early on them, uh, in terms of who I would take and have a little bit tighter of a board in terms of who I'm going to take. But I think the days of me selecting four starting quarterbacks, you know, getting that Andy Dalton or Eli Manning type fill in, uh, I just think that's not a great value proposition. Those types of players later in the draft. Um, and maybe if it's a quarterback three and I'm doing sort of a, uh, uh, higher end top two guys maybe that's more of a solution to get a year or so of a fill into uh, into my roster but I, I think the days of rostering four starters I'm um, trying to force four starters on my roster you know in the top say nine rounds is is probably something I'm not going to do anymore uh, just to, just based on how you know my experience with putting together the lineups and those sorts of things so um but yeah, I think in that range, there's there's opportunities, and there with that comes risk. You know, there's a there's a reason that the hit rate goes down in those ranges because there is more risk. But you're getting guys like Cam Newton and guys that are dropping far. You know, Stafford again, dropping far in startup drafts that have really good profiles in terms of uh, their hits and their densities and their their base rates and all of those things and their pedigree. So really interested on that. I think there's going to be wide receivers that are going to fall. I saw Brandon Cooks fall to round 13 of a draft, which is just clinically insane. Uh, and I'm, I'm digging that cost. I mean, you're looking at a guy still in his mid-20s. It's got four seasons. Four out of his last five seasons are top 15 finish. Uh, I'll take the bet on, on him bouncing back just based on that, the density and the hit rates on those guys, I'll, I'll bet on him bouncing back and producing better than he did this year. So looking at a lot of those opportunities, again, if you're looking at uh, another player, and I think he's a good example of this, I don't necessarily love the player, but the profile is intriguing of a guy like Le'Veon Bell. 20-plus uh, touches on average, has a crummy touchdown rate this year, uh, of really bad yards per carry, one of the worst in terms of, uh, that average at the running back position of guys with any sort of volume. And uh, that number is super fluky year over year. And you just, those those numbers bounce around. There's this great stat, and I'll have to, I'll have to find it and link it at some point. I'll talk about it more. But there's a, the, someone did a breakdown of uh, Chris Johnson and Matt Forte in their first two years of the NFL draft. Or, excuse me, the first two years of their career. And Forte looked like a guy that just, terrible uh terrible yards per carry but uh chris johnson looked like this you know world beater in terms of his yards per carry and then after year two they would completely flip-flopped so those those numbers are fluky and sort of betting on those fluky things is um to regress towards their norm is usually a pretty good process in terms of capturing some value uh in addition yards per target or uh points per target ppr points per target is usually is another good one so that that average is usually around 1.65 is a good number to look for in terms of what you would expect a target to be worth so guys that produce really high so aj brown and a guy that's had in the mid 80s in terms of targets you know, produces 
2.44 points per target this year. Bet on that not to continue. And that doesn't mean that A.J. Brown is bad. It just means that that rate is unlikely to keep occurring. So one of two things is going to happen. He's either going to score less points on that volume or he is going to have to see an uptick in volume. And if you are if you think he's going to have an uptick in volume, you have to know that the uptick in volume is going to have to be into the 120s, 130s, 140s in terms of targets to really sustain being a top three-round startup pick. And you know, what's the likelihood that that happens? I'm not sure if they're going to bring Derrick Henry back. You know, I'm not, I'm not willing to make that bet that he's that super volume of a guy. Um, and you know, those sorts of things. So another guy on that roster is interesting is Corey Davis. Uh, you know, the volume's just not there and I don't know what the reason is for that. But when you look at his priors in terms of the round one pedigree guys, and they haven't produced through your year three, it's a, it's a low hit rate. You know, Devonte Parker is the only guy that's done it after missing four straight years. There's only, uh, Michael Crabtree and Peter Wark that had done it after missing the first three years. So you're looking at a, at a lower trajectory for that. And that's going to be, uh, tra- probably drop his super or his startup ADP rounds and rounds based on where he was going last year. So he's an interesting sort of reclamation project, but I, I wonder what the trajectory is going forward just based on the, the base rates of the position. So, you know, you would expect like less than a 20% hit rate just on what his contemporaries have done in terms of pedigree. So, um, those are all things I'm looking at. You know, I just I'm just doing some bigger picture studying right now. I'm not making the jump into startups probably until after MFL rolls over after the Super Bowl. So I'll get sort of this uh, book tour done and keep churning out some stuff in the Patreon thing. Keep honing in on my process, doing some studying in these early drafts, and then probably take a jump in to a couple before the NFL draft and sort of, you know, keep building that well-rounded dynasty profile. Uh, and I'm really looking forward. I have a lot of first-round picks. I think I'm like 1.75x of first-round picks on my teams. So I'm looking forward to making those picks. And um, I still think even though the class is down a little bit, you're going to have plenty of opportunities, especially once picks are made and the the lure and the sexiness of having the new rookie that's in a good landing spot, you know, those picks will, will be up in value. There's never a time that, that they are, once you get on the clock is usually the time that they're the most expensive. So you can still have the opportunity to trade down, even if you don't like the player or, you know, like the class as much as you did, there's still going to be opportunities there to get valuable players and uh, trade down if you so choose. So all of that, I'm looking forward to this this continued part of the off season. It's my favorite time of the year. Um, so until next time, um, thanks again for joining me and continue to embrace the variance.